welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bradford Cooper, and today we're going to jump into the very latest research on one of the most essential keys to health and wellness, behavior change. Now, if you were with us two weeks ago, our guest, Dr. Stephan Guillenet, noted that essentially we already know what needs to be done with our health and wellness, but it's the behavior change piece that's the key. So we were pretty excited that it worked out to have Dr. Nadia Walter join us this week, as that is the focus of her research. Dr. Walter is a postdoctoral researcher at Leipzig University in Germany. Her research, as I said, focuses on behavior change in diet and exercise and the psychological aspects that drive those changes. Now, I heard her speak when we were both presenting at a conference in Germany, and while she did express a little concern about English being her second language in terms of joining us as a guest, I think you'll agree she did a fantastic job. For those of you who are looking to earn your wellness coach certification before the MBHWC National Board Exam requirements change, our next fast track is February 8th and 9th in Colorado. That's the weekend after the Super Bowl and the week prior to the Physical Therapy Combined Sections meeting in Denver if you're a PT. You can find all the details and registration at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. And as always, feel free, reach out to us with any questions you have related to coaching, national board exam, or anything else along those lines at results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Thanks for joining us. Now let's listen in on the conversation with Dr. Walter on the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. Dr. Walter, it is a pleasure to be here. Got to hear you in Germany at the FEPSAC conference. You did a fantastic job there. And I mentioned during the introduction that this is your second language, speaking in English. So you sound great to me, but the audience will know as we go through this that they, they wouldn't do any better. So thank you, thank you, thank you for jumping in. Very excited about the topic today. Behavior change is at the core of what wellness is all about. So the fact that you're spending and have spent years studying this, it's just a pleasure to have you join us. Thank you, Brad, for these nice words and these nice introductions. Thank you very much. And yes, um, um, sometimes I, uh, it's hard for me to find the right words uh, because my, I'm always thinking in German and <laughs> the German language. So um, please be patient when I have a lot of M's and S's and yeah, I try my best. <laughs> you, you sound great, and you're doing a lot better than I do in German, so we'll just go with that. Well, give, give us a little overview of your research, just kind of the, the, the wide-angle view of, of some of the things you've been looking at, and then we'll, we'll take a deeper dive as we move forward. Yeah, um, I'm a postdoctoral researcher at uh, the Leipzig University since 2015, and um, my main research focus is on behavior change and on developing routines, strategies, and habits in exercise and diet. And um, that's what I'm working most. But I also investigate the dark side of exercise and physical activity, mm. uh, let's say exercise addiction or eating disorder. And I work as an imply, uh, applied sports psychologist with um, young athletes. But my um, the most I focus on behavior change. And I try to find out what we really need to change behavior because we, um, I think the most of us um, have made the experience that we start with a new behavior. We want to maintain uh, this new behavior and we've made the experience that the, this works very well for the first weeks. And then there at, at some point, 
we can't be bothered or um, we forget to practice our behavior or whatever. And I'm interested um, what kind of behavioral and uh, what kind of uh, psychosocial requirements are needed to maintain a new behavior in a sense of a habit and to yeah not only to be a strategy or routine more in a sense of a habit that we uh, won't miss this behavior in our life and that we um, want to do it frequently and want to do it um uh, let's say automatically perfect, so, perfect. and it's, it's so timely we we just interviewed dr ganay who wrote the the hungry brain a couple of weeks ago and he literally said the missing link is the behavior change. He said, we know all the things to do. We know, we know the information. It's the application piece that's missing. So having you join us today is, is fantastic. Uh, how did you get to the point of studying behavior change? What was the, what was the draw? What was the initial catalyst that, that took you that direction? To be honest, this research topic um, has fallen into my lab. Honestly. Really? When I started, yeah, when I started my, um, my work at Leipzig University in 2015, my former boss asked me to hold a lecture with the topic learning theories. And I was preparing and I read a, a really, really good book about this. And there was this uh, really interesting study. Um, and uh, the study was uh, by a colleague in, in the UK. And her name is Philippa Lelly. And the study was con conducted in 2015. 10 uh, or it was published in 2010 and um, it was an uh, intervention study and she uh, asked uh, around 100 students to choose one eating drinking or activity behavior which should be carried out daily um, in the same context for 12 weeks so and they had to fill out uh, several questionnaires every day and Lally found out that it only takes 84 days to maintain or to stabilize this behavior in a sense of a habit. And when I read this article, it was, it was fantastic. It was like, hey, I would like to do this as well. And my, my, let's say my overall vision is to formulate the sentence. You only have to do this behavior for three months every day, every, always in the same time, always in the same context. And then it will become a habit and that would be the greatest sentence you can say to somebody who maybe is obese or overweight and want and really wants to lose weight that would mm -hmm. be the perfect message i would say that's my that's my overall vision but i'm a little bit away from this <laughs> yeah no that's fascinating and I, and I like what you're saying there about you know it it's not you're not saying to the person okay, you need to figure out a way to do this for five years before it sticks. You're saying 84 days, like literally a quarter from now, it'll be established if you stay with it. Months. Right. Yeah, it's right. Less, than, less than three months. So it would be, yeah, it would be great to, to have this, this sentence. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that came from her study and that was the catalyst or the lead-in for you. What are some of the most fascinating discoveries you've made in your research that maybe our listeners haven't heard before when it comes to behavior change or some of the things that have grabbed your attention? At first, I um, uh, what I said before was uh, that I uh, not only focus on the development of habits, I also have an eye on strategies and routines. And at yes. first, um, we had a cross-sectional study with, with, um, um, with a questionnaire 
with our online questionnaire where we collected um, altogether 47 strategies in the field of diet and physical activity. And these were the typical uh, eating strategies like chewing every bite 32 times or use smaller plates or turn off the TV while you are eating. These typical strategies you use to um, maybe uh, eat less or eat less sugar or um, to to be more physical activity. For example, um, listen to music or um, take your sports wear to work, something like that. And we've mm -hmm. collected these strategies. And in our online questionnaire, we ask our participants to rate these strategies. They had to rate um, if they are using these strategies or if they ever had heard about these strategies. And in the second step, they had to rate um, if these strategies they were using or they are already uh, used or they are still using these strategies. They have to rate um, if these strategies were effective mm -hmm. or just for a short time or long, a long, had a long-lasting effect. So, um, And what we found out is that action planning strategies are used most and more frequently and they were rated as more effectively than um, strategies for their barrier management. Um, we have categorized the strategies into different categories and um, these categories were action planning, acute barrier management and um, precautionary management for example and rating consequences and goal setting and we found out that um, there's a big difference between acute barrier management and precautionary bar barrier management between strategies in diet and uh, physical activity. That was quite interesting. Um, we found out that uh, people use precautionary bar barrier management more for diet. Let's say uh, something, um, don't do the grocery hungry and uh, don't buy sweets uh, that, you can't, that you don't fall into temptation and uh, that, that they were rated as quite effectively. And, so let, um, let, can we take a step back? Because yeah. this is really fascinating. And I'm, I'm trying to jot some notes down. So the four categories are action planning, acute barrier management, precautionary barrier management. And then what was the fourth? Rating consequences. Um, so what, what consequences will my uh, behavior have? Okay. Um, for example, when I, when I lose weight, I will uh, be more, I will get into shape, for example. Okay. Or, um, I will suit into or I will put into the trousers I bought a year ago. And we had another, uh, it was goal setting. So there are actually five categories then? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very good. And what would be an example of the action planning? I think we understand acute barrier management is in the moment. I'll say this and you can correct me. Acute barrier management would be in the moment things that you're doing to make adjustments. Is that accurate? Yes, that's right. And then precautionary uh, yeah. barrier management, you talked about that. That's the planning not to buy cookies, not having ice cream in the house. Consequences is almost future self, seeing this is how it's going to influence my, my life. And then the last one is goal setting, which people are probably yeah. relatively familiar with. Can you walk us through the action planning piece? Yeah. For example, uh, note your appointments or uh, use affairs or use apps. Um, for example, mm. if you uh, go to work and there's an elevator or an escalator and there are also stairs, action planning would be use every day the stairs or write your appointments down. 
that you are that that's it's like a reminder if you in your uh, when in your schedule is written down that you have an appointment for physical activity there will be no other appointment right that's okay what, um, what gotcha so you're planning for those things in advance time. different from barrier management in advance yeah okay it's Very like good. um implementation um goals yeah implementation Perfect. Okay. And I interrupted you. Sorry. Keep, keep going with that. I just want to make sure the audience had their arms around those five categories. Yeah. And in these five categories, we have several strategies. Participants had to rate the strategies in two steps. The first step was to say if they have ever used the strategy or if they are still using the strategy. And the second step was to um, rate the uh, efficiency of the of the gotcha. strategies. And um, we found this uh, big difference between precautionary barrier management and acute barrier management between um, eating and and behavior uh, and physical activity strategies. Huh. And the results showed that the acute barrier management was used more frequently for for diet strategies and acute barrier management was used more for uh, physical activity strategy. And regarding the efficiency, it was vice versa. The uh, acute barrier management strategies were less effective for eating strategies. And the precautionary barrier management strategies uh, were less effective for physical activity behaviors. Hmm. And we explained it with um, the emotional feeling when you're eating. Because one um, one acute barrier management strategy for the eating activity was, for example, switch off the TV while you are eating or use smaller plates. So um, imagine when you are in a nice restaurant and you are uh, at an all-you-can-eat restaurant mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, and you are in a really nice conversation with your friends, the food smells and looks really delicious. There's something what happens to you or to people who want to uh, eat less sugar or less less uh, food um, that they won't use the smaller plates. Or imagine you are sitting um, with your friends together together in front of the TV and you're watching um, the finals of yeah of a soccer match or an NFL match and um, then pizza. The pizza, um, <laughs> the and you right. say, so we have to switch off the TV because we want to. Eat. And there's this this special moment when when the last last minutes in, in the game are, and all the people would say, "Are you kidding me? We can't switch off the TV now." So that's what we <laughs> really assume that there's an emotional aspect while you are eating, a particular particular when you're in company. Very interesting. Very interesting. The other uh, interesting thing was uh, the the first time we uh, conducted this uh, online questionnaire was with healthy people. Um, And they were quite active at least once a week. And then we conducted a really similar questionnaire with um, people with medical indications. And they recalled actually the same thing. And there was a, it was quite uh, comparable to these two um, samples. Really? What, what, why do you think that was? Um, Because we are all human. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we all like to eat. And um, right. sometimes we have this, uh, or in German, we have to say this inner little pig. We want to uh, get over it. To When we want to exercise more, there's always this uh, little pig inside us who says, um, come on, stay on the couch. <laughs> I think we have that in America too. That's funny. Uh, okay, so let's let's pop in. When when you I heard you speak in Germany, you talked about the difference between what we do in the first few weeks of attempted change, yeah. and then what we do or usually don't do a month or more into the process, and fall back into our our old habits. Now you talked about the eighty four days. So if we yeah. get three yeah. weeks going, we get that ball rolling, we're making progress, and then suddenly we fall off. Can you walk the audience through some of the things you shared at the conference with that? Yeah, we conducted in 2016 and 2017 an intervention study, or I would say it's more an experimental study because we had no intervention group and control group. We conducted a study where we asked uh, participants to choose one healthy behavior they haven't practiced so far. Let's say um, eating a banana for breakfast or okay. drinking so, one bottle of something new. Something new, yeah, what, what you haven't done before, what you want to... Um, establish in your in your life as a daily routine as a as a habit so and we have we ask our participants to choose one of this eating or drinking uh, eating drinking or uh, physical activity behavior they were asked to carry out this daily beha this behavior daily for 12 weeks and then we had a look at um, how often have they uh, did they practice this behavior per week how consistently um, in the sense of always at the at the same time or always at a random time, and we all also ask them how they felt while what, during the week, uh, like uh, um, activated, um, depressed, and we found out that participants who practice their behavior less often and less consistent um, compared to participants who practice their behavior more often and uh, more consistently, um, they dropped out by week four or five. Hmm. And participants who practice their behavior always at the same time, let's say for lunch or before um, before dinner or after getting up, and they practice at least three or four times a week, um, they established a habit in uh, in the first first five to, to eight weeks. And that was, um, yeah, the thing we, what was quite new for us, that it is not only the behavior we we choose it's also the behavioral requirements that obviously develop a habit and um you know, that were that were our results okay so circle again i'm jotting notes down here just to reset what you said there so yeah. the same time mattered if i did Whatever it is, I, I start to exercise. The fact that I exercise at the same time every day, doesn't matter when it is, but it's if it's the same time that improved my odds of continuing it, is that part A of what your findings were? Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, it is the the environment plays a critical role uh, in the developmental process. It's like a it's like an environmental cue, and mm -hmm. it's a time cue. That means Interesting. Um, that is, um, it's one of these, these typical uh, antecedents to develop a habit. Very interesting. Okay, and then the frequency you said was the other piece. Three to four times a week was significantly better than one or two times a week. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And with that, you then found they were able to establish a habit within 
this kind of four to six week period versus the 84 days that we looked at in the previous study from 2010. Is that, did I hear that right? Yeah, that, that's right. They, um, we have used for, to, to assess the, uh, um, the habit formation process. We have used the specific questionnaire. It's the so-called, um, self-report habit index. Hmm. And the self-report habit index is a 12-item questionnaire asking a specific behavior, let's say exercising in the morning is something um, with 12 items, um, for example, that I do frequently or that I do automatically or that I um, that makes me feel weird if I don't do this hmm. behavior. And you, the participants had to rate um, these 12 items um, on a, on a five-point uh, uh, Likert scale from disagree, disagree to agree. And the higher the self-report habit index, the more stable is the behavior. And um, we have seen that in the first five to six weeks, the self-report habit index uh, or the self-report habit index increased significantly for those people who uh, practice their behavior always at the same time and uh, at least three to four times per week compared mm. to those who practice their behavior less consistently so and less regularly. Okay, and, excellent. Um, yeah, and the thing is, um, after these, these six weeks, uh, people uh, reach like, like, a, like a stable plateau. From this time, so let's say about week six or seven, they, they reached uh, a score um, what the the original authors of the self-report habit index said that this is can be considered as a habit. Hmm. Wow. And that's, that's so that exciting. Are, that are, yeah, that are the first weeks. So, and the thing is, um, we only had twelve weeks. It would be really interesting, and that is the next intervention study or experimental study I want to uh, conduct. Um, how does it work for? for uh, more than three months, for, for a half a year. Right. How does it work for, for, for a longer time? Right. Okay. Well, you've partially answered my next question, but I'll, I'll just throw it out there to see if there's anything else you'd like to add because I think you've already given the audience a, a, a huge cue here with the same word, actually, the time cueing and then that frequency being so important. Are there other critical aspects to effectively changing our behavior and sustaining it because that's that's what yeah. we're all about everyone listening almost everybody listening to this podcast that's what they're about they're either helping others with behavior change or they're interested in creating their own behavior change and sustaining it so you've given us a couple yeah. of great nuggets anything else that you'd want to throw out there for them yeah what i've explained so far was the process when i uh, i already have chosen my behavior there are a few things to consider before you start with your behavior. And um, uh, I don't want to talk too much about the theoretical basis and the theoretical background, but there are um, about four to five psychological factors um, that, uh, that should be uh, yeah, considered to uh, be successful in setting up or maintain a new behavior. And that is, um, on the one hand, the strength of your goal intention, the strength of your goal, the so-called self-concordance of this goal. What does that and mean? Your action plan. Self-concordance means how does the um, goal suit to my own goals? Is it a goal um, that is given from my partner or okay. from my from my employer um for example if your partner says to you um uh, 
uh, I want you to lose weight and you are and you don't want to lose weight at all because you don't you feel fine right. and you don't have the pressure or something like that um your self importance is uh not high enough and you so won't it's essentially intrinsic motivation it. yeah it's it's intrinsic it's a, it's a part of intrinsic motivation okay yes. and um you you have to uh you have to find a goal um, and you have to formulate your goal um, and your plans with the SMART criteria, I always okay. say. Have you ever sure. heard about SMART criteria? Yeah, and I think most of our folks are relatively familiar with that just in terms of being measurable and having a time frame and those types of things. Yeah, yeah. and these, and that is, that is one of the most important uh, facts because if you only have global intentions, you will only practice global global behavior, global intentions lead to a global behavior. And the more specific, the more attractive, the more realistic and time bounded your, your goal is, uh, the more is, is it likely to, to be as, um, maintained. Hmm. And that's very that's good reminder. One of the most, most uh, important things. Okay. And, um, that, that are the two, that are the two, uh, I think most important, before you start with your behavior, um, you also have to think about um, potential barriers. What kind of alternatives you can prepare for these barriers? Let's okay. say your goal is to to run every day, or let's say um, every Tuesday, uh, for forty minutes around the the park or the block or whatever. And then you have Tuesday, and it's uh, six o'clock, and it is raining. So the most people would say, okay, it's raining, I can't run. Right. Because it's raining. I don't like to run in the rain. Then you have to find alternatives for bad weather in, in the field of diet for munchies or whatever. And um, that's uh, also a, a big big fact. Um, in our experimental study, we also assessed the barriers because we have asked our participants how often did they practice their chosen behavior. And they uh, correlated b- uh, between zero times a week and seven times a week. When they um, rated their behavior only only five times a week, we've uh, asked them immediately what barriers they had to face. For example, I couldn't be bothered or um, I had appointments or um, whatever and to more the, the barrier effect. And the thing is, when they, they had too many appointments and they had too many distracting things in their life, they uh, did not pursue their behavior um, mm as it was intended. So mm. these barriers you have to, to think about prior to, to, the, um, to the beginning. So I've got strength of goals, self-concordance, which is a portion of intrinsic motivation, smart goals, yeah. thinking about potential barriers yeah. and working through those. Yeah. Did I miss any? And at the end, you have to think of your outcome experience as well. Because, um, and that's what we've assessed in the, uh, the, four, the, the first study I've mentioned with the uh, consequences. Yeah. If the behavior you want to practice in, in, your, in your daily routine has no good outcome experience, um, you won't pursue it. And that's why that's also one of the antecedents of, of habits. When you, let's say you exercise for 40 minutes. 
then you go out of the exercise or out, out to work with a really good feeling and you're proud of you that you've done this exercise or this workout, even if it was raining. And this good feeling leads you to uh, do the same behavior again. Do you know what I mean? It's like a, yeah, like totally. a positive mood. Right, positive and, um, and the uh, the uh, theoretical background, sorry about that, and the theoretical background is a learning theory, like like a classical condition. Mm-hmm. You, you know, when when you are rewarded uh, with something something nice, you uh, you want to have this feeling again. Right. And then you 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 do the, the behavior regularly, more regularly, right. because right. you want to have this feeling again. Okay. This is so good. <laughs> You've really answered my next question as well. You're, I think you're reading my mind here, but anything else for people that are trying to help others? So these would be coaches or somebody's trying to help a friend or a family member or something like that. You've given us a lot of tips. You've given us these, these five things you need to think about. You've talked about the, the importance of time queuing and frequency. You've, you've walked us through the idea of, you know, it's five to six weeks, 84 days at the most. Anything else that if you were coming alongside someone else that you might include in the conversation? Sometimes um, I also work as a personal trainer. And I've made the experience that uh, clients are interested in facts and uh, reasons why we do these things. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest that if your client has a lot of questions, in his or her head, you have to explain why you are, um, why you give him this strategy or this method, or you suggest this. Sometimes they need a little bit, a, a few scientific aspects. Well, that's that's what I've made as a as as my experience as a personal trainer. That's the more practical thing, and uh, then the things I already said that you you have to be self confident. If you want to um, change your behavior, because if you are if you are not confident enough that you will uh, face and you will overcome the barriers, then it would not happen. It will not happen. Okay. And you have to set your own goal. It, um, it's 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 useless to take somebody in another goal from from your partner or from from mm. media or from, from wherever, it should be your own goal and uh, it should be connected. It, it, it should be um, something what you can identify with when you say, that's typical me. Right. So, right. And you, you should ask your, your clients for patience and they should be patient because it's a long time. And when we talk about behaviors, you want to get rid of it. That's uh, another another really interesting field and um, I want to be more active in stable behaviors. We have practiced for a long time and a long time for me that are months and years. Um, you can't uh, you can't assume that you can get rid of them in between one, two, three weeks or four, right. five months. Right. And that's, exactly. um, that's what I always say. Please be patient with yourself. Right. Okay, good. All right, let's turn the mirror around a little bit here. How have you or are you applying your research in your own behavior change efforts? Is there something that you're working on now? Because we've all got our stuff. I could give you a long list for me, but we've all got our stuff. Is there something that you're working on now that you don't mind sharing with us? 
and talking through how you're using your research in your own life. Yeah. Um, actually, I got two behaviors that I, I started with because I, I've read that it's, it's healthy. For example, I, I always eat one boiled egg for breakfast. Um, because um, a few years ago, I've read that uh, one boiled egg for breakfast is quite healthy because uh, of all the protein in it, and um, it keeps you going until till lunchtime. Uh-huh. Um, that's why I thought for myself, okay, one boiled egg every day, it's okay. And uh, I did this for a long time, and now when I have breakfast and I don't have a boiled egg with me, it, it feels weird. Hmm. And uh, I really want to have this this boiled egg. Sounds weird, but uh, um, but this is <laughs> this is me. And I also have a physical activity behavior. What I see as a as a as a habit, I have to drive my car to work. There's a there's a, a little distance between my home and my work, and I have a home office day every Thursday to avoid the typical traffic in the morning. I get up uh, every day at five o'clock to uh, to avoid the traffic, and I'm always at around six in, in in the city where my my office is. And because I have long working hours, I can't be bothered to do my my exercise or my workout afterwards. Right. So I always do my my exercise and my workouts um, before I go to um, my office, and and that's why I always exercise in the morning, and that. Um, has another positive effect that I get fresh air and that I have already done my exercise and my workout. And driving my car from my home to Leipzig, the city I work, is like preparing for my exercise. And Hmm. on my home office days, I don't exercise because I don't have this this way to to the exercise. You know what I mean? And that's what I've meant you need you need the special and stable context and stable time and that was also my motivation yes it works it works if you if you are patient and if you do really you really do your exercise regularly at the same time in the same context it will be stabilized in the sense of a habit so um, i don't want to be selfish and say um yeah i'm the best practice (laughs) but it it is that, so that's, yeah, that's that, really that queuing is very interesting. Very interesting. Huh. All right. Well, good. Thanks for sharing that with us. So now the phone genie question. You, the phone genie comes to your office tomorrow and says, all right, Dr. Walter, you get to put a message on everybody's phone home screen tomorrow morning. What would that message be? Mm. That's, that's, a, that's a really, really tough question. And oh, yeah. When I presented my science slam in Münster this year in the conference, um, I had this the slogan four for twelve plus events and canly make habits daily. What means four times a week for twelve weeks with the same stable context at the same time and a positive reward, a positive feeling afterwards helps you to establish a habit. But this sentence may be too long and um, yeah, <laughs> more than 140 40 items for entire Twitter. That so maybe something like be smart and start. Oh, there we go. Be smart and start and then dial in the cues. Yes. I really appreciate it. This is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Thank you for taking a, a jump with us in terms of the language. And I think you did an awesome job. Let's appreciate you doing that. 
Thank you really much. Yes, it's not the no. best grammar and no. <laughs> no, you did a great job, and I think people are going to love the information because you gave us a lot of new insights that probably most people weren't familiar with. Many of these. Yeah, and th- that's why most people feel connected with it because they've made a similar experience, mm-hmm. and we feel addressed when I say. Have you ever tried to change your behavior and uh, it works well for the first weeks and then there comes this big hammer and then you can't be bothered or you forgot what you have done or something like that. And you can apply it to actually every setting. Um, yes. It is the athlete setting to to develop routines and uh, competition strategies and competition habits. And you can implement it in the uh, medical setting as well mm-hmm. as in school setting. And that's why it's, it's, it's so interesting. Thank you. This is fantastic. I appreciate you jumping in. Thank you. Fascinating. After 30 years as a PT and 15 years in health and wellness, I thought I heard it all when it came to behavior change. Great reminder, there's always more to learn, isn't there? Thanks again to Dr. Walter for joining us. Wonderful insights. Quick note about the Rocky Mountain Coaching Retreat and Symposium. Some of you know about it. We launched it this year in 2019 for the first time. Our goal was to go beyond the typical conference, to provide the CEUs, to provide the chance to enhance your skill set, but do it in a setting and with a a schedule with some gaps, some chances to breathe and get re-energized and rejuvenated, all those kinds of things. The feedback from this last year's event, so encouraging. We decided we're going to do this every year. So it is scheduled for September 18th through the 20th, 2020 in Estes Park, Colorado. Beautiful setting, beautiful time of the year. At a minimum, you may want to just pencil the date in as you're planning your year in the coming weeks and months. If you know you're coming and you want to save some money, we do have a, what we're calling a super early registration discount available through December 31st. You can check out all the details, catalystcoachinginstitute.com, or contact us anytime, results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. In the meantime, let's go get better, and let's help those around us do the same. After the conversation with Dr. Walter, We all have some new tools in our toolbox, but they don't do any good if they remain in the toolbox. It's up to us to put them to use. Thanks again for joining us. This is Dr. Bradford Cooper signing off. Make it a great rest of your day, and I'll speak with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast.